Welcome to the Limitless Potential Podcast, where together we will dive into the personal, business, and career-rich tips, techniques, stories, and experiences of some incredibly successful and inspirational people, each with their own perspectives and journeys, and each with golden nuggets of wisdom which might just change your life. I'm Tracy Stone, and I'm a master trainer in a number of career supercharging techniques, a transformational coach, international best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and a woman discovering and evolving my very own limitless potential day by day. Welcome to another episode of the Limitless Potential podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Razy Frankham from The Human Approach, who joins us today from Reading in the UK, not far up the road from where I am. Focusing on the human side of change, working with the EQ, which is the emotional component of us, rather than the IQ, which is the more intellectual brain-focused component for successful change, Razy helps her clients to master their mindset for success in life and business. As a business, as a behavior change and emotional resilience specialist, Razy is a successful and highly respected mindset coach. Her approach to mindset in the workplace comes from over, over 15 years of coaching and working with behavior, emotional intelligence, change work, and the underlying subconscious program that we use 95% of the time. Razy has worked globally with professional athletes, leadership and individuals in British Cycling, PepsiCo, Latham and Watkins, Royal Holloway University, Vodafone, Virgin Media, Finastra, Accenture, and a whole host more of well-recognized organizations. Razy's successful, no-nonsense approach and ability to simplify the complex is the secret to her success. Welcome, Razy, and thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. It's great to have you here. Now, Razy and I know each other for a number of years now, and we've both been on our journeys going sometimes in a similar direction, sometimes in different directions. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to regroup here and for the listeners to be able to learn a little bit of what makes you so special and what has helped you to lift yourself up sometimes in life using your own skills. Mm. So I'm really excited to be able to share this with people, Razie. I know you've had a very colourful journey. So- <laughs> yes, it has been. <laughs> sometimes we feel we could do with a little less colour, but we handle it anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> right. That's why we are where we are. That's why we do what Definitely. we do. So, but Rosie, let's go back and start way back at the beginning, if you would. If you want to tell us a little bit about life before now, tell us about childhood and growing up and what the young Rosie was all about. Mm. So, uh, interestingly, I grew up in France. Uh, my formative years and cognitive years were in a sort of rural part of France, Uh, did my early schooling out there, uh, lived by the sea, was very much in the countryside in a little village. So um, it's quite interesting that, you know, that those were the years that kind of set me up to know what's available, to, you know, um, I suppose, compared to then coming back at nine, moving into a council estate, um, not being by the sea, uh, living with grandparents and, Uh, at the age of nine already I started to experience polarity of you know how rich life could be and then you know moving more into sort of uh, a lack and poverty um, uh, experience I guess so my very early years were very very nice um, very free we would do a lot of wild camping I literally grew up on the beach 
Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how my my life started. And then yeah, at the age of nine, I moved back to the UK, and we had to move in with my grandparents. And again, it was just a concrete, you know, concrete town, and uh, into a council estate. And and I think my school of life began at that point. That must have been quite difficult moving back from France to the UK. You were so happy in your life in France, a very natural life. You, I, and I know that you are a very natural person, that you love being outdoors, you love sport and energy and all of those incredible things. So it must have been hard for you to move elsewhere. How did you handle that as a young child? What was it like for you making that change? But it's really interesting, Tracy, because I think this is what's led me to where I am today. Um, I didn't realise what was happening. I just didn't have a clue that, you know, actually uh, my life had changed. I didn't have the resources. I was really disconnected. And I think I disassociated from quite an early age. And it's only now that, you know, I know how to work with the subconscious. I'm connected with some amazing therapists. Um, and I've been able to kind of do that subconscious work that has allowed me to go, oh my gosh, you poor nine-year-old. <laughs> So I've almost um, allowed her to become more resourced now. That's only just happened, even over the last couple of years. Um, but that's also made me understand what this journey is and, and what we can do, you know, as, as therapists, as coaches, as healers, whatever we want to call ourselves. Um, you know, this is, this is how we truly heal. And we have to go and go back to that inner child and understand what they experienced and actually how they were misinformed or that, you know, their belief system has been misinformed. And it's about always constantly upgrading because, you know, now I can look back at that nine-year-old with love, with empathy, with compassion. And actually, you know, I do lots of timeline work. And, and when you go back, you kind of go, you're doing great. You know, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, she, she didn't have the information at the time. So she just did what she did. And I think that's so um, frequent that that happens, mm -hmm. that when we're growing up, we go through a situation that feels very traumatic, and it probably is. But sometimes when we look back at it later on with adult eyes, we're able to see from a more pragmatic sense, actually, you're going to get through this. It's going to yeah. be OK. So how was that journey for you, that realization of putting a different context on your childhood situation what was that like because I think that's something that's common for so many people they grow up and they carry that belief that says I'm broken from then I'm hurt from then I will always be tainted by this or colored by this yeah it's really interesting um because you and I actually trained together didn't we and in the training I will never forget having my first regression and actually going back and just seeing where it all started. And I didn't understand it at the time, but it was this, this gray, fuzzy, and then all of a sudden, the words like doom and gloom came, came to me. And, it, and I just cried. I think I cried for a whole day <laughs> after that. But, um, but it was just this realization that actually, you know, I had made my life, my beliefs, my, the meaning about who I was. It had been pivotal on other people's conditioning other people's beliefs life circumstances the environment and I think that once you see that once you detach from it and you decide who you want to be where you want to go once you are empowered to live your own life you're not a child anymore actually you can move in any direction so what it does really is it moves us out of that victim mode because mm. I think we live from child and then we kind of live in that learnt helplessness. You, yes. you know, if we've gone into trauma, if we've had a difficult time, there's a learnt helplessness that comes with it. And then all of a sudden we're a victim of our environment, we're a victim of our family, and that shame cycle comes in, the unworthiness comes in, and then it's like, this is me, this is my personality. And, and it's not, it's not at all. So it's about being able to let go of all of that and actually really like draw a line in this present moment and go, well, who am I today? And how do I show up tomorrow? And then it's constantly catching yourself to go, oh, <laughs> I'm playing a program right now, or this is mum, 
this is brother, this is sister, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And just kind of going, yeah, that's not who I am. But we also need to get to know who we are. And I don't think people give themselves the time to do that. They just, I think they don't know how to, but I, I also think we don't give ourselves enough time. And, and it is time, we're talking years. Yeah. And this isn't a thing where you sit down and write a journal for a, a week and kind of go, right, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you know, it's it's almost like it's an evolution, isn't it? You yeah. kind of go there. I mean, I, I've been writing gratitudes for oh, must be nearly four years now. And I've kept all my journals. And I look at the evolution and I look at everything that I write down and, and it's, it, it just constantly goes. So then you realize you're not trying to get to anywhere. You're just making meaning in that moment, shifting, meaning, shifting. And, and that's that's just the way that I understand it. So how would you say your understanding of who you are has changed? You've talked a little bit in there about that, that you're not who you thought you were. You're not that. You're something else now. Mm. How would you say for you personally, your understanding of you has changed from that child into now? What are the core changes Hmm, it's a good question. I think without life events, we don't get taken to that change. I think that if we don't need to change, we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'll, I'll go back to that learned helplessness. I, I do actually see a lot of clients that can't seem to get themselves out of it. They are so stuck in their story that even when you give them the information, they're not ready to receive it. Mm-hmm. They're not ready to take action. They just can't see beyond what they have. They, they believe it's going to be that way so I think there has to be a belief that you can change there has to be enough information for you to kind of go oh actually that's happened to that person this person's done this and then we kind of get into that energy and momentum of like oh okay well if they can do it so can I mm-hmm. so that's a belief already isn't it but then I think that we're pushed in life you know we we make decisions adversity happens to us and and I think it it makes us move so I think mine my I'm going to call it an awakening Tracy I don't really know what else to call it I think it's just you kind of all of a sudden go hmm something's not right something's not working and I think for me it hit me in my 30s I'm not sure if I'd had two or three of my children I'm not sure (laughs) it's a blur now but ultimately like my daughter's had an accident so she got run over and she was really badly injured. There was a long recovery time and it was just one thing after another. And I think it just affected me so much that I just wasn't functioning anymore. And also the trauma of the accident had lived with me for probably over a year. So every time I heard a child scream, I would feel like I had flu. And or even if I had laughter, it would trigger me to think that there was something happening and I'd get flashbacks of my daughter um, where she'd been quite severely sort of I suppose hurt but also it was quite physical as well so I would have images of that Mm. so I ended up seeing a a therapist for it and actually I I did some EDMR which was the beginning was it EDMT anyway it's the therapy you know when you do your eyes from side to side yeah doing that within one session it completely dissolved that whole feeling that when a child screamed I would go into that sort of flu, like my skin would get really sore. My energy would just rush out of me. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And at the same time, he'd introduced me uh, to Buddhism. So he introduced me to a Buddhist nun called Pema Chodron. And I just listened. I downloaded loads of it and he'd sent me a few bits. And I just listened in between folding the washing and hoovering and doing those things as a, as a mum. I just started to listen to something different. And actually, for me, that's where... It, I started to think, oh, there's another way of thinking. There's another way of being. And also that whole therapeutic side that, you know, I'd lived with this trauma uh, of, of the accident. And then all of a sudden, I didn't have to live with that. So I think that got a few things going for me. And then really, that's why I do what I do now, because it's like we, we don't have to live with the trauma. We really don't. And that's something that an awful lot of people certainly struggle with. So that realizing that they don't have to live with the trauma, it's it's a huge breaking point in the process of life. Yeah. To get to the point where you realize you don't have to have that. So 
can you talk a little bit more about that point of realization and how for you specifically you I know you've touched on it there but how do you get to that point of knowing I don't have to feel like that anymore I don't have to be like that I don't have to be affected by that Mm. So it's interesting because actually trauma comes in many, many forms. Mm. And I think my real first experience of understanding trauma was this physical impact or, or I suppose it's an accident, isn't it? So something happened. What I realized afterwards is that actually, for whatever reason, because I haven't actually had a tra- traumatic childhood, I'm just really sensitive. I think I've just perceived a lot of trauma. And that's been something about me getting to know me. But understanding that, you know, from a, a young child, we can perceive trauma. And that could be mental abuse, that could be neglect, it, it could be all sorts of things. So that's really where my journey has really kicked off. Because what I didn't realize is that I was showing up in my relationship with my children, with my husband, to my family. And actually, I was projecting somebody that I knew deep down I wasn't. I didn't want to be this person. So I would I would just kind of have these moments and you would just I would just flip or I would lose my patience within a moment and I noticed it more and more with my children and I remember when I went to see the the therapist I just thought if I don't sort myself out now I'm going to lose my kids I'm going to lose my husband and I think again that's where my journey of understanding I was living my childhood trauma through my relationships I was I mean, it is that mirror, isn't it? Everything that I believed I was as a child, I was reliving through my adult life. And again, that's, I mean, I'm way beyond it now, but I think there's always that work to do. So yeah, it's just it's just understanding that things happen to us, our subconscious locks onto it, it protects us. It might be abandonment. Uh, so again, for, in my case, what I've understood is my mum left when I was 16 and I just felt this deep, deep sense of abandonment, you know, but actually then in life, if somebody rejects you, you go into defense mode or you might go into attack mode. So yeah, there's all sorts of behavioral sides of us that come out that in our core, our heart, we're we're all loving people. I would say 99.9% of us are loving. We just get triggered. And we're just playing out that protective mechanism. And again, that's kind of what I want to help people with, really. That's brilliant. And you touched on something quite vital in a lot of things, vital, of course, but something in particular that has struck me and that I've seen so many times as well is when people are putting on a pretense, when they're being something that they're not trying to please everybody else, Mm -hmm. You know, we all have to put on some kind of a mask at work, some kind of a mask when we're out socially. That's all normal. You're kind of hugely yourself, but a little bit you're being right for the situation. But when you're putting on a mask all the time and trying to be something that people want you to be that is not true to you, it's very draining. It's very exhausting. And you mentioned that breaking point that you would start maybe snapping um, at times And I think that's always a a strong sign, isn't it, that we're not living true to ourselves because you're keeping up this pretense and then just suddenly there's a straw that breaks the camel's back and we we do start to then snap and that's when we start to damage the relationships because we're trying to be too many things and we're frustrated that people don't seem to see it, they don't seem to understand, but it's just that little moment of break, isn't it? And I think also to to sort of add on to that, when we're wearing the mask, I think we don't realise we're wearing the mask. We we know that we're not being authentic, um, and we're also, I mean, we're so suggested to now, aren't we, with social media? We just we just I don't think we just don't know who we are. That that's the issue. Mm-hmm. And you know, we always think we have to be something to feel good to project in a certain way and and maybe it comes with a bit of maturity Um, I'm noticing that people are realizing they're a lot younger now they're they're waking up a bit more to oh like why am I acting this way but I think when you're wearing the mask it's almost like multi-personality disorder isn't Mm -hmm. it 
we are multiple personalities and we don't really know how to regulate them. We don't know when to bring out those characters. And there is, oh, I'm just reading it at the moment. There's a book, is it ISF? Integrated or IFS? Integrated family, family System. I don't know. I'll give you the link and you can put it into the, the podcast. Will but, do. But it's all the different parts of us. It's parts therapy. Mm -hmm. There are so many different parts of us. And again, I feel really lucky that I've done so much subconscious work, but I've been able to go to all those different parts. And it wasn't so long ago. I did a session and it was a little bit like role function purpose, but, but different. I didn't have to go into hypnosis and it was just trying to look at the role of something. And for me, fear popped up. And so I sat with fear and I started to get to know fear as a personality, as a part of me, without judgment. And actually, <laughs> it's quite funny. It was funny for me anyway, because I think I've lived in fear for a long time. Fear was really pissed off with me because it was like, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> I'm doing my job, you know, and, and all I was doing was just kind of batting fear away, going, just go away, leave me alone. But actually fear is doing its job. And it, but it was, it was like a sulky teenager going, oh, like, I'm just helping you. And in that moment, I make friends with fear. Like, she's my buddy now. And when she pops up, it's like, yeah, I know you're doing your job. And, and we'll have a little dialogue, you know, quietly, obviously. Um, but it's changed everything. It's all about the relationship with yourself. And we have to understand there are many parts of us. So actually receive every single part. No, it's trying to do its role. And actually, if, if it is hindering you from moving forward, because those are the subconscious blocks, then we've got to understand how to give it another job, how to give it another role, or you know, how to appease it and to let it know it's, it's safe. Like you've got it from here, you know? So it's, it's just taking on a, a new relationship with self. Oh my God, that's amazing. Love that so much. And I think that's going to be helpful to so many people because we do all feel that exhaustion when we're putting on that different persona. Yeah. And we don't quite know how to balance all of it then. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, we're, we're conditioned to believe. Um, so if I think about all the different roles I've had, um, mother, I was 25 when I had my children and you know, I, you just fall into motherhood. And for me, I've, I've had three children. And then you, you think, okay, so I have to be a really good mom and then I have to be a really good wife. And I must support my husband in what he does. And now in my family, they've all had three children. So I've had three children. And in my family, the women stay at home. So I stayed at home and, you know, supported my husband to go out. But actually, that probably wasn't who, that's not what I needed. That's not who I am. You know, evolution changes, our roles are changing. And actually the 1950s model doesn't work anymore, but we don't feel empowered enough or we feel conditioned to kind of go, oh, but I must do this. And I would just like to put a little like proviso in here. I actually wouldn't change having been at home with my children though. And, and I think that's the thing. We can kind of say, oh, you know, I'd have done this, I'd have done that. And of course, when we look back, we in hindsight, we do all sorts of things differently. But actually, I, I wouldn't have changed that because I, I do think it's been important. And actually, what I've realized looking back is I, I studied, I learned my business, and I've, I've had a great journey. So also part of our journey is accepting every decision we've made and then if it's still not working for us, now let's make a change. There's no point going back and regretting. There's just no point in it. It's just take the good. And actually now, who do I need to be if I want to make change? So that, that's just something that I've found. I love that as well. And to live a life of regret is to really waste your life, isn't it? Yeah. Because you can't change the past. But what you can change is the interpretation of it, the meaning or the lesson that you take away from it, but continuously beating yourself up and dwelling on it and saying, I should have done it differently. I'm terrible. I'm useless. Why did I not know? You know, that's never going to change anything. But taking the lesson and saying, I did that, that happened. 
now I know to do it differently. And that's okay. I'm, I'm going to cut myself a break on that. Yeah. It's taking responsibility, isn't it? It's taking responsibility for your actions. Um, I think a lot of my journey, I, I blamed a lot of people around me. Oh, it's because of this. It's because of that. And our true healing, our true empowerment, when we really start to move forward is when we take full responsibility, full accountability, the buck stops here. And I think that's when we really start to move forward because, um, I, I suppose you have to come to a point where we don't mind failing. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, if I mess up, then it's on me, but at least it's on me. And, and I do believe that's when we start to move forward. But when, again, we live in fear, which I've done again for a long time, it's uh, because you're trying to please people, you're trying to live to other people's models. And what you realize is you just have to live for you. I mean, obviously be aware of the impact it's going to have on other people, but I think, you know, when we say follow your passion, follow your dream, follow your heart, I mean, I, I don't fully, fully agree with it. I think we, we are a little bit too whimsical sometimes and we haven't got enough of a footing in reality in the steps that it takes to get there. Um, but, but that's people's journeys as well. But equally, I think it's don't live to somebody else's expectation. Oh, my God. Does that make sense? This is, this is juicy, lovely stuff. <laughs> and that fear feeling that fear of failure it's such a, a recurring theme for so many people I've certainly experienced it hugely in my life as well I, so I I think most people do but that fear of failure is pretty much a lie most of the time because the I mean it's not a lie that we can fa we can fail to do things or to do them to the degree that we wanted or to get an outcome that we wanted we may not succeed at that but when we fear failure when we're so worried about it generally we're more worried that the implications are much more dramatic than they actually are yeah. and that's the lie about the fear of failure the worry of failure that the implications are rarely as detrimental as we believe they will be that you know the sky doesn't fall the world doesn't end mm -hmm. Sometimes people go in and out of our life because of it. Sometimes jobs go in and out of our life because of it. Sometimes we have a little bit of difficulty to overcome because of it. But the world doesn't end because of it. Yeah. And actually, I always look at it. I mean, I, I look at life as a bit of a computer game anyway. Like we just go on to different levels and I call it leveling up. You know, you, you finish one level and then you've got other things to go and learn and do. And it's just kind of, you know, if, if you're going through, like I say, we have many lives in one lifetime, really. If we're going through a level and we come up against the same thing again and again and again, you're just going to go back to the beginning of that level and live it out. So I think the more honest we become, the more awake we, we can become, the more we observe what we're going through and how much a pattern is showing up, it helps us to level up more quickly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's almost like you could spend 10 years on one level because you're just not listening or seeing or noticing you know what's happening it's almost like going into that wall isn't it constantly going same thing again same thing again and interestingly because I do a lot of work with people in business so um you know of, of course we talk about their subconscious processes but it's like why is your business not where you want it to be you know it's like why is your why why is it that you can't get to where you want to get to? And sometimes we just kid ourselves. We're, we're telling ourselves a lie. We're going, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But actually, we just need to be really honest. So a lot of the time, that just sort of digress a bit with the business, but people will be running a hobby. And it's like, no, you're not running a business. You're running a hobby. And this is just your interest. And I've been there, which is why now, you know, I'm, I'm able to, to reflect on it. But to kind of go, are you in business? Because if you're in business, you're in business to make profits, unless you're a non-profit. And if you're not in business to make profits, then it's a hobby and you need to go and find a job. Or you need to make profit. And it's having those really, like, honest conversations and then saying, okay, how are you going to make profit? What are you going to go and do? 
and and then the business strategy comes in because there's there's different levels aren't there to to making it in business and we, we talked about that before we we started today it's like you know you, there are certain realities to make your business successful to have visibility there is a marketing process the sales process there's a delivery process and all of those things have to be put in place so you can you can be authentic in yourself, you can get to know yourself, and then you want to be like, yeah, I can go and do my business. And then you've got to understand where you're trying to get to in your business. And are you really putting all those strategies in place? So um, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously it's my work, so it, it can get quite intricate, but it, you know, it's it can be quite complex, which is why I like to simplify it. It doesn't have to be that complicated, but I think we need some honesty. We just need to sit honestly and just say, why am I not where I want to be? And then keep showing up every day, making that change, catching yourself. I think that honesty is so vital. And we all like to think of ourselves as inherently honest. And we are, generally. But when it's something that we're worried about, we're fearful of, we then tend to start sometimes telling little fibs to ourselves. Mm because we're afraid of it. Uh, so for example, the people that say, and I, I've met so many of those people as well that will say about their business, oh no, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this to make a lot of money. Yeah. So is this yeah. your business or is it not your, your business? But it's actually the fear talking, isn't it? And that's when you start lying to yourself because you're so worried about, can I succeed at this? Am I going to fall over? Am I gonna fail? Am I going to embarrass myself, humiliate myself if I say to people, I am doing this and I am amazing at it and this is going to be incredible, it's going to be successful, and then it's not. Mm -hmm. So when we then take it down by saying, but I don't expect to make money at it, I'm just doing it to help or I'm just doing it as a sideline, we're already doubting it and doubting ourselves and how can we make it successful if we're lying to ourselves about what we really want from it? Yeah. So yeah. when you've worked with businesses like this, could you share with us kind of some of the common themes that come up for people and how you help them in business to overcome those common themes? Mm. But it depends, again, where they're trying to get to. Um, if we're looking at somebody with a like, career, so they might be in, in leadership. So they've got somebody above them and then they've got, they've got to manage up and they've got to manage down. And a lot of that is more about self-regulation. It's about understanding their roles and responsibilities, how they're projecting, how they're running their department, the whole of the business. You know, when you have the, the higher strategy, the higher views, you know, how that then um, gets delivered down, you know, to, to your staff. So it's really giving that personal understanding of what their role is, how they're showing up, what type of leader are they, you know, all, all those types of things so that they can actually stand really strong in their career path, in how uh, they're doing their job. So that's sort of within a business. And then obviously there's all the dynamics of teams and, and different types of leadership as well. It's acceptance that Every, well, nobody is you. <laughs> so you're going to be a type of leader, but your, your manager and your CEO or whatever the culture is within your business, you know, it's not going to be who you are. So actually, it's about understanding uh, how do I manage that? How can I not take this stuff personally? How do I not go home and just completely crash at the end of the day or get overwhelmed with the amount of work? Or, you know, so it's, it's all self-regulation, which is where the emotional intelligence comes in. Because you can have as many strategies as you like, but actually you have to have the emotional resilience to be able to apply those strategies. And really that's the work that I do with people. It's just really helping them to understand who they are how they're leading because again what I've noticed over time and I noticed it teaching in schools funny enough I did um like the resilience and meditation program in school so I was helping teachers to understand how the brain works so ultimately you know meet a child right brain emotion first then put left brain in logical uh, also upstairs downstairs so you know your amygdala gets uh, you're in threat the amygdala gets fired off they're not going to be thinking straight. So as a teacher, how can you go to a child and actually bring them out of threat and help them through the situation? 
So, uh, so I did a program in a school with that and it was, it was amazing. I loved it. And what I learned and realized is that teachers are playing a role. Everyone's just acting. And then actually, when you look in the workplace, somebody, you know, will start off as an admin or they'll go into sales. And then all of a sudden they're a sales director. They weren't taught to be a sales director. They weren't taught to run it. They, they've just had promotions, you know, and unless their company have really invested in them. So it's almost sort of helping them to, to understand, I suppose, you know, who they are, how they've got to where they've got to be, um, and, and be able to understand themselves and um, I suppose self, self-regulate to stand in that leadership role. You know, lead, be a visionary, um, leading by example, isn't it? So yeah, that, I think that's generally the way that, that I work with people. And then I think if we're looking more small, um, small bits, sorry, trains are going past, it's really noisy. Um, so if we're looking in small businesses, it's actually uh, what blocks do we have? So it might be, I'm trying to think of, uh, procrastination is a massive one. <laughs> it's so big, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just literally procrastination, phone addiction, social media addiction, especially if you have to be on social media. Um, so actually it's, it's working with that, uh, looking at the addiction that goes in there. Uh, sometimes it's, again, uh, fear of uh, stepping up as a leader. So if you're running a company and you're a people pleaser, it's very hard to tell your staff this is what I want from you. It's very hard to kind of lay down the objectives because actually they just kind of want to help that employee, but actually they're not setting strict boundaries. And therefore then actually there's no foundation, there's no stability and no one knows where they stand. That's so, that's always a common problem, sorry. They, they Wanting to be the friend, there's a lot of people that step into management and when they finally get in to be a manager, that promotion that they've waited for, they think I'm going to be the leader that people love. They are going to do amazing work because they love me as because I'm going to be their best friend. I'm going to be nicer to, to them than any manager has ever been. And they actually do believe that that's going to be the way that they will get a motivated workforce, but that doesn't work. Doesn't mean you should be the most terrible person, but that's not the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, and again, it just, I, I, I kind of had a bit of a revelation, you know, going through this because we're, we're always looking out to everybody outside of us going, oh, this person's this, they've got all this experience, they've done this, they've done that. And then for me, I, I've seen everybody's a traumatised child. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth of it, isn't it? Everybody. I mean, even well, even more so, sorry, CEOs and like senior leadership. I think most of them, um, I have to be probably a little bit careful with what I say, but there's a lot of narcissism. There's a lot of psychopathic behavior, to be honest, where it is just a, a, a tunnel vision. Everything is done um, with a very disassociated sort of view on things. And uh, that just comes from trauma, ultimately. And I think if we, everybody's got a soft side, and I just wonder if we could all just unlock that softness. Uh, there would be a much more pro-social way of working and it would just be kinder wouldn't it the the cultures it wouldn't it wouldn't be about competition or you know having to to work harder and it's interesting I don't know if you've heard of this Tracy but uh, because I'm sort of doing quite a bit of research for my new business at the moment there's a quiet quitting have you heard of that yes yes That, that has become very trendy and popular and it's kind of the new evolution of understanding motivation now yeah yeah and just saying no like this doesn't work for me or you know I'm going to put my boundaries in and, and that's really what it's all about isn't it yeah. so I do think sort of if we're looking at a workforce as such and also with COVID there's just been so many different changes going on and again I'm I'm really curious as to see how we can get the workplace back in because people want to work we need connection but actually we don't need to be a slave to our work we don't need to be owned by somebody we need to own ourselves we need to have our own choices our own personal life our family and not feel pulled in all sorts of different directions and I'm 
I'm quite excited to actually look at making change in that area because I just think we're at that cusp now where we can. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID has just let so many people know there is another way of working, you yeah. know, and uh, some companies are trying to get everybody back into the office again. For some, it will work. For some, it won't. And actually, it's like, well, how could we find that nice balance again? Mm-hmm. You know, and how could people become more comfortable in the workplace? How could people become more comfortable with working from home? Mm. You know, just having that lovely balance. So I think we're, we're, we're gonna find out there's big change ahead, it's exciting. There is. How has it changed your working life during COVID and coming out of COVID? I don't, <laughs> I don't think I can put my situation um, as a normal COVID experience, Tracy, to be honest, because um, <laughs> but literally as we, as we walked into lockdown, obviously being a coach, everything just stopped. You know, everybody went into like freeze mode. You know, and uh, within a couple of months of going into lockdown, my husband decided that it was going to be a good idea to leave. So he um, then obviously he he moved into his own place. Then it was trying to get used to not being a family anymore, and and it's just carried on to be honest. Um, So it's it's actually been really really challenging. I mean that. What's happened for me over the past two years, I'm I'm actually still processing now. Well, I'm just starting to process. And that's my adversity. Um, you know, I've, I've been able to grow through it. Um, but I, I, I don't, it's not a normal COVID experience for me. And I think I was saying to you before, my house just recently burnt down as well. And, and you just kind of go, you know, kick, kick me, <laughs> come on, <laughs> bring it, bring it along. So, um, so yeah, I think for, for me, COVID is, it's almost hasn't existed. It's so irrelevant to me because actually my, my life adversities had come in on such a higher level that it just almost made COVID just a non-entity. It was irrelevant for you because you had bigger stuff going on. Yeah, which is really, really important because mm. I think this is what people need to understand we will always go, oh, uh, I've lost my job. I haven't got any money, you know, and that's going to be the worst thing that's happened. And then all of a sudden uh, you might then get a cancer diagnosis and you go, oh, I don't care about the money now. I've got to get well because I've only got so much to, to live. And, it, you know, things just, um, they can always get worse. They can progressively get worse. So it's like, at what point are you catching it where you're being in that victim mode of, oh, this is terrible, I'm worrying, I have anxiety, and this, you know, this is so bad that this has happened to me, and, and actually, is, is it really that bad? You, you know, how, how much worse could it get? Now, we don't want to ask for it to get worse, but I think it's really good to just be grateful, and when adversity hits us and it comes to us, to actually be um, solution-focused. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of go, well, it could be worse, but I've got all of this. And I think for me, I've learned that through doing my gratitudes. I mean, every single day, I start my day looking at everything that I have. And when I start wobbling or when I start just becoming a little bit ungrounded, I just I meditate, you know, I go to my breath. Um, but I always look at what I've got. And the other thing which I found really, really interesting, actually, through this process. So when um my husband initially first left it it, i just crumbled i absolutely because everything that i had been so i had been at home with my children for years as they had supported him and and it was almost like there was no raisy like who who was she because she lived for everybody else and even in my work you know personal training doing nutrition going into mindset hypnotherapy it was always about fixing other people Ultimately, I needed to fix myself. Um, but I just remember not being able to function. So all I could do was sometimes go and lay on the grass in my garden and breathe. And that's all I could do. And then if I got to the end of the day, I thought I got through a day. And then, you know, you might be able to do something more. So for me, um, I got a coloring book. So I was pretty nonverbal at the time. I wasn't able to talk very much. I mean, I think I cried for a year. And it, I just I just wasn't able to, to function. And I got one of those mindfulness coloring um, books. 
Um, what I'd noticed just being really quiet, meditating and just allowing myself to just be, I would start coloring the little blocks on the mindfulness um, mm-hmm. coloring. And what I noticed is that I could choose what color I put onto that page. I had the choice to do that. I could pick any, any pen and I could put it anywhere and I could make it in a pattern. I could make it just splotches of different colors. And then what I noticed when I could choose what color I could use, I started to notice that I created a picture. And then all of a sudden I got these little downloads. It was like, what if I can choose the color and then I'm creating a picture. This is the canvas of my life. And I can do this with my life. And I just need to do it one color at a time, one square at a time. And by doing that, I can create my life again. And actually, that is how I've rebuilt my life. And even to the point of sometimes um, like cooking would be too much and uh, going shopping would be too much. So I would go to the shops and I would just buy what I needed for the day. So if I managed to do that, that was a win. And then now I'm doing shopping for the week or I'll go shopping, you know, I'm just doing everything again. And I have a little wobble and I think, no, no, you're good. Because there was a time where it was really hard to go to the shops. And my sister would come over every Tuesday night and she would cook me dinner. And I would just, I would hang on to that Tuesday to have company, to have somebody cook for me so I'd have a proper meal that I could sit with my kids and actually know that they've been fed properly. And you, you know, that's a very humbling experience, really humbling. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you can hold on to that, you can only progress from there. So I've learned so much through my adversity. That's amazing. And you talked about being solution focused. So when you think about your personal adversity, I mean, your house burnt down this year. That's huge. Your marriage, that's huge. Yeah. So how have you become solution focused? If you think of those huge things going on in your personal life, yeah. how have you brought yourself into being solution focused from that feeling of, I can't handle this. This is all too much. Yeah. Well, I think it's really important first to say that I did cry for like a year. I think I cried to you. (laughs) It's like, you know, there were a lot of people. I had a lot of support. I really found out who my friends were at that time. Um, So I think allow yourself to cry. Allow, Allow it all to come out, but do something with it. And I think there comes a time where you have to become... Uh, you have to have the strategy and you have to notice your emotions but not allow them to lead you and there were certain things along that journey for me where I would really I mean I really got to know my thoughts and my mind and who who was speaking like who was showing up today mm. and and actually being in charge of that because it that person that unworthiness that self-critic was not helpful so therefore I had to find another part of me that was going to be helpful so I think that's the solution focus if that makes sense Mm -hmm. deciding to manage my brain deciding who was in charge deciding where I wanted to go but also letting go of the outcome because sometimes and I think this has made me a much better therapist and coach sometimes we just can't future pace we can't think beyond today and that teaches you to live in the moment and that's a real blessing because actually it's in the moment as we go through our day things come to us we then can work with it as long as we take action from it we can then start moving our life forward rather than pushing or projecting or trying to manifest and create things have an intention know where you want to be put the right vibration out everything's a mirror there's karma so when shit comes back at you know that you've put it out there to stop putting shit out and start doing and being who you'd want to be and how you want to receive it and and it starts today it starts right now And there's going to be a little bit of uh, fallout because there's going to be a bit of uh, karma that comes from, from, you know, our past. Take it, but keep showing up and keep, you know, for me, um, I went to the beach once and I picked up a stone and I made a promise to myself that I would never speak another bad word about myself. 
And then it sat on my desk at my computer and that stone now is on my bedside table. And it's a reminder. And I'll sometimes say something derogatory about myself or I'll doubt myself. And then I think about my stone and I think, no, because I promised myself that I wouldn't do that. So I'm not gonna let myself down. I, I am gonna have my own back. And that is how we progress. No one else can have your back but you. So oh my God, that's yourself, you know, that's glorious. And it's so true because when we give our power over to other people and expect them to do the heavy lifting or them to have our back and, and people do have our backs. We have support to the great degree that they can. Yeah. But if we give over all of our own accountability and responsibility to others to do that, then they can take that away at any time and we're no longer in control of ourselves. So embracing that notion of being accountable for me and responsible for me and knowing, yeah, maybe this is a very, very, very tough time, but I have to choose something that is going to lift me from that instead of choosing to stay wallowing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's moving out of the victim mode. However, I think it's really important to understand that going into victim mode is part of our healing. Mm. So again, I did have every part of me uh, taken away. What, what you've just said is absolutely right. I, I woke up one day and thought, nothing is mine. None of it was mine. The only thing I had really was my, my children. But but even then, you know, I'd been at home with them, but then they started uh, living with my husband and then I didn't get to see them. And I was like, oh my gosh, like nothing, nothing is mine. Mm. So then you start going, well, I need to start creating. I need to start owning stuff because it wasn't my money. It's not really my house, not really my children. They're their own entities. You know, the job can be taken away in a moment. It, so it's just, uh, I suppose, again, being humble, but also appreciating that you've got to build things for you and they've got to belong to you. And that's being in the self. And then no one can take anything away. And I think I said at the beginning, uh, there is very little that will knock me over now. Very little, because I'm myself, I'm me. And gusts of wind, literally, I mean, I would be knocked over for days. And now, I mean, it could take me half an hour to pull back into a grounded state. It could be 30 seconds, but there's no way I'm going to give a day away. No way. I'm not getting hijacked anymore. I'm not giving my time. And one of my mantras was, you know, do not give another minute away. Crazy. I love that. And what a perfect note and nugget, golden nugget of inspiration and wisdom to finish today on. That is absolutely perfectly put and so vital. And we can spend a lifetime getting to that point. Mm. So that is beautiful. Raisy, thank you for sharing all that with us. It has been Pleasure. an incredible conversation. And again, I know that people are going to get so much goodness and juiciness out of that. So thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Tracy. Thank you. Uh, I love our chats. <laughs> a great pleasure. And it always is uh, just a great chat. So thank you, Raisy. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. And we wish you all absolutely limitless potential. And we'll see you again soon.